This morning we kicked off, and I'm really excited about this, our Hispanic ministry. Calvary Chapel Old Town has not had a Hispanic ministry yet, but now we do. And it got kicked off this morning. And the, the, uh, the person pastoring that group is Julio Cordero. Cause, Julio, come on up. So uh, before Julio shares his testimony with you, I just wanted to share something about Julio. I met Julio at the School of Ministry at Calvary Costa Mesa. And um, he's been praying for years about, uh, or for the last year and a half or a year for, to do the, a ministry. We've been, uh, I've been praying since last April for someone to come do a Hispanic ministry here. Last April we did door hangers for 5,000 homes. And I found out, first of all, 5,000 homes is not that many. It was just inviting people to Easter services. But among that, I realized a lot of the homes, there were sections of orange that were uh, predominantly Hispanic and Spanish-speaking. And then and as we would skip those, because we don't have a Hispanic ministry, i go, Lord, we need a Hispanic minister here. We need to get a Hispanic ministry going. If we're really going to reach Orange, we need to be able to reach the cultural groups in Orange. So I, I started praying, and uh, through turn of events, it was just like, hey, Julio, have you ever prayed about coming to Orange and starting a Hispanic ministry? And uh, through, through a series of events, he did, and it was so neat to see that Today, they had their first uh, meeting. And so if you know somebody who's Hispanic, yeah. Um, if you know somebody who would prefer to hear the Bible taught in Spanish, uh, they'd prefer to be a part or want to help out in the Hispanic ministry, they're meeting Sunday mornings during the second service, 1030, right? And uh, we're also praying for a Hispanic worship leader. We really need a worship leader who can sing in Spanish. So, something to pray about. So, with that said, Julio, I'm going to give it over to you. So, hi, um, my name is Julio Cordero, and um, I grew up Catholic. My family uh, was very uh, religious. You could say they would go to church every, at least twice a week, because of my grandma. And coming to the States at an early age, uh, my mom still kept going to uh, Catholic Church, and uh, soon enough, uh, one day she actually went to to the church, and uh, she asked the bishop, "You know, I was reading this passage in the Word of God. What can you tell me what it means?" And the bishop actually told her, "You know what? That's for us to read it. We'll let you know what it is." So she actually ended up walking out, thinking in her heart, "You know, I'm not coming here again." At that time, she was working at a like a bar, uh, nightclub place, and her boss told her, can you go sweep outside? She said, oh, sure, I'll go sweep outside. And one of the Lord's servants came by and said, hi, you know, do you know the Lord? And she said, yeah. And how would you like to receive the Lord in your heart? And she's like, yeah, who wouldn't? You know, I'd love to receive the Lord in, your, in my heart. And so she, she did the sinner's prayer. She was led to a Christian church. And the rest was history. She started teaching us about the Lord. We started walking in the path. I actually, myself, I remained rebellious for most of my life until about around maybe my early 20s. My mom one day actually, out of nowhere, she said to me, you know, I'm going to pray that the Lord makes you a pastor. But in that moment, I became angry. And I actually started yelling at my mom. I don't even know why, but I think the Lord... Put, still keeps it fresh in my mind to know how deep 
and darkness I was. That I didn't even know where, why I was getting mad at my mother for no reason and yelling at her. And so about five, six years later, the Lord decided it's time. So everything I had, I mean, I was close to what Americans would call an American dream. I had saved enough for a home. I had a great job. I was going to start it. A few weeks later, things started happening. A few months later, I lost it all. I had nothing left. The only thing I had left was the car that I purchased and the clothes you know, that I had in my closet. That's it. So I found myself on the street. My fam- I, I lost all my friends. My, I became close to losing my family. And then actually through the grace of God, my family took me in. I was sleeping in their living room, still well, looking for a job. And one day, one morning when I woke up, oh, one thing that I forgot before uh, I continue is that at the end of that life, I wanted to commit suicide. I wanted to end my life because I had so much and I lost it all. And I didn't want to go back and gain it again. But through the Holy Spirit, he stopped me from doing that. So that's why I stand here. And I know I would have gone to hell because I had never received the Lord. Even though I started to get to know who God was, I've never actually received him into my heart or said that he was my savior. So I know I would have gone to hell. But the fact that he's given me this chance, I, I'm taking it like my last. So like I tell my brothers in Christ, I'm all in. So next thing you know, um, I was sitting in that living room and I was sitting on the couch and the coffee table was in front of me and I was screaming at God. I'm like, what, what do you want with me? Why did you spare my life? And then I saw the word of God in the coffee table and I'm like, okay, you want me to read your word? Fine, I'll do it. So for the next year, I found myself reading the word and out of everything else I prayed, my top three prayers were that I wanted to know what my purpose, I wanted to know why God saved my life, and I wanted to be a disciple. So the first one got, the last one got answered right away. The Lord sent me to one of his servants, started getting disciple. And through every, for the next four years, I was with him, with this pastor in, in LA. And I kept asking him through those four years. I'm like, why has God answered this question, this prayer and not this prayer? He said, you know what? God's going to answer everything perfectly according to his will for your life. I'm okay. So what does that mean? That means you got to wait. Be patient. Continue to pray. Continue to seek him every day. Continue to ask him to help you to be submissive and obedient. I'm all right. I can do that. And soon enough... uh, through the same pastor, the Lord told me my, my calling. And then uh, through a turn of events, losing my job, uh, when the market kind of crashed, I actually told my pastor, I'm going to start going to Calvary because I can't afford to go over there anymore. He said, yeah, just continue to do your, you know, what the Lord's asking you to do. I'm okay. And at the beginning, I pulled back. I'm like, you know what? I can take a break. You know, I, I don't need to go every every day to church, or I don't need to read the word. I can take a break. But that was a big mistake. So next thing you know, I think I only went once a week. And Calvary has morning and evening uh, services, and they're both different. And I'm all, you know, pick and choose. Which one should I go? Today, I'm going to evening. Yeah. OK, to next week, morning. Yeah. On the third weekend, the message that Chuck gave like everybody else says, 
it was for me. And basically what the Lord said in that message is, what are you doing? In the past three years, I've shown you more miracles than you've seen your entire life. I blessed you beyond means. And it's like you're spitting in my face. You don't even read the word anymore every day. You don't even pray every day. What are you doing? In that moment, I felt like the lowest of lowest and started crying and asking God for forgiveness. And people around me were like looking at me like, what's wrong with him? You know, Chuck gave a good message, but it was not that great. <laughs> so I'm there crying and, uh, and asking God for forgiveness. And it was towards the end of the message. And for some reason, I locked eyes with this gentleman inside the service just for a, a second or so. And then I, I continued to pray and ask, you know, just to finish my prayer with the Lord. And then I, I was ready to get up, go, get up and leave. And he said, I don't know why. You know, he, he was standing right in front of me by then. I don't know why, but the Lord asked me to come and ask you to come to the men's Bible study on Thursday. I was afraid and freaked out. <laughs> like, I was like, okay, God. What would have happened if I did not ask for forgiveness? But the, the fact that he allowed me to ask for, he gave me the courage and the strength to ask for forgiveness. And, and through that, I got plugged in. People started uh, listening to my, my testimony. They said, you should go to school ministry. I'm like, what is that? Oh, you know, school ministry is like a seminary type of schooling for pastoral uh, teaching. <clears throat> okay, what is that? Um, you should go find out, you know, this is what it is. It teaches you how to have a more in-depth relationship with the Lord, how to study, how to teach the word. Well, okay, that sounds good. I, I think I, I like, I'll pray about it. Soon enough, I found myself in there. Um, at the end, after school ministry, the Lord answered my third prayer, which was why. Why he spared my life. And he said, just like everybody else, it's because I love you. Because the way I love everybody else, that's why I spare your life, because I love you. So now I find myself here with my brother and seeing all the things that God said I, he would allow me to do if I was willing to submit every day, if I was willing to pray every day. If I was willing to read his word every day and be full of the Holy Spirit. If you get a chance, you're going to want to talk to Julio more. Uh, he definitely left a lot out. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you, Julio, myself, and many of you have the same thing in common. We were running hard, doing it our own way, and then, then we met the Lord. And it wasn't like when we met the Lord, it was just like, okay, cool, what do I have to do now? When I met the Lord, I finally realized that it's what he did. That's what brought me to my knees. And I realized he did it all. All I had to do was trust in him. And I hope tonight, as we get into the word tonight, as we get into the text, you'll realize that as, as your life may be confronted by God's word and the, the way you live your life may be confronted, I hope you'll realize that Jesus Christ paid it all. He did the work for you. He confronts you, but he'll also change you. So we're going to get into that tonight. So let's turn to 1 John 
We're continuing on through 1 John. And a couple weeks ago I said I, I didn't really have a name for the series in 1 John. And uh, one of the things that popped out to me as I was studying it again this week is this, this book is only five chapters long, this letter. It's an, a letter. It's only five chapters long. It's pretty short. In fact, maybe some of you have already read through it since, uh, I mean, you could go home tonight, read through 1 John, and, it, and it'll go really quick. But in, this, in these five chapters, John says the word abide 23 times. It's one of the Apostle John's favorite words. He uses it all the time throughout the Gospel of John and, and in his letters to abide, to remain in Christ, to live in Christ. So tonight we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Here we go. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us so we can be fully equipped for every good work, Lord. Lord, that you've allowed us to turn from being your enemy to being your servant. Lord, to be able, be able to please you. So we pray now that you'd open up your word to us, give us understanding, and more than anything, Lord, we ask you to apply it in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the cards... Uh, our invite cards, we, we put up some famous paintings on those invite cards. And originally we did these famous paintings because we thought like we're going to give these out to a college student and, or invite them and they'll look at it and then throw it down. So what would make somebody pick back up? You know, so we're like, what if we put a, like a picture of the Mona Lisa or some famous painting? And, and as I started to design the cards, I started thinking about them. And I, I decided, you know, I'm going to put little captions on the card. So I put, on the Mona Lisa, I put, you were meant to be a masterpiece. Because I really believe that, that in Christ he takes us and turns us from being dead in our sins and transgressions to being a masterpiece, a work of God in our lives. And so we, we started putting little captions on them. And if you haven't seen the invite cards or you haven't received one, uh, I'm sure we have some floating around. We'll definitely have more next week. Uh, we've got to print some more. But um, one of the paintings I chose was called The Son of Man. And I've got a picture up here. This is the painting. I'm sure many of you have, are familiar with it. He's not a hipster, so don't get confused. Uh, he does have a bowler, but uh, he's wearing the suit. And he's, he just, I'm pretty sure this man has no tattoos. So he's, and there's no mustache, we don't think. But this painting to me, it was done in the 1960s by a Dutch painter. And his motive for painting this painting was that it'll bother you. That's why you want to look at it, because it bothers you because you can't see his face. And, and you almost want to like try to contort to see around the apple. You're like, get the stupid apple out of his face. We want to see his face. And so that's the whole reason why he painted this painting. Well, I, as I looked at this painting and I thought about the title of this painting, I was like, I'm sure the Dutch painter didn't realize what he was doing, but this is a great illustration of us, this painting. Because... Well, first of all, it's called Son of Man. But the apple, obviously, uh, that fruit in the garden that Adam and Eve took of, they partook of, 
and then they go and they hide. And, and I've always thought about, like, as he's hiding behind the fruit, you almost start to become known by that fruit or that sin as you continue on. You almost lose your identity to sin. That's what happens to us. We actually start to forget really who we are, how we were created, because we've started involving our lives in more and more sin. And our identity becomes about sin. And, and so on this picture I put, you don't have to hide anymore on the invite cards. And, and because all of us, we, we hide. We hide behind sin. You know, the Bible uh, talks about, you know, well, if someone lies, what are they called? A liar. If someone commits adultery, what are they called? An adulterer. And we become known for our sin. But in Scripture, it gives us this promise that God will take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. He'll put a new spirit in us. So Jesus, when he was that night at the communion table, said, a new covenant I give to you tonight. He established that new covenant, which is his blood shed for you on the cross. And it was with that new covenant that he promises to take away the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. So tonight the question is, what does your heart desire? And, and, and as we've been reading through the book of John, we've been seeing, you can change out the picture, it's, it's good. Um, as we've been reading through the book of John, John's been talking to the church in Ephesus about how to abide in Christ. How to know whether you're really a Christian or you're a heretic. A heretic is just someone who says they're a Christian, but they're really not living as such. They, they, and we all, we've all met people like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian too. But, but everything in their life doesn't measure up. You're like, wait, you're a Christian? And everybody in Hollywood, they accept their Oscar, and they're like, and praise Jesus. And uh, let's go party. <laughs> let's go get drunk, you know. It's, it's like, wait, okay, I guess that's normal behavior. For, no, it's not normal behavior. And, and in Ephesus, it was no different. People were starting to say, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian. But they weren't living as such. And so John is writing this letter to the church. And he does so in such a loving, fatherly way. He's, he addresses them multiple times as children, saying, children, children, don't you realize? And remember in the beginning we talked about walking in the light as God is in the light. If we claim to have fellowship with him, we've got to walk in the light as he is in the light. Then, then we went on to see that, that if we sin, we need to confess our sin. Not just ignore it, but say, not just go, Lord, forgive me a sin. All right, we're on our way. We're good. No, but to really confess those individual sins. Lord, I lied. Lord, I committed adultery. Lord, I lusted. Lord, I gossiped. I slandered against this person, and I need your forgiveness. We're to confess our sins. Because if we confess our sins, John tells us that he is faithful and just and will forgive us from all unrighteousness. He'll cleanse us from every unrighteous act because he is the propitiation for our sins, the atonement for our sins. Jesus did the work. So as, as John has been summing this up, last week we talked about one of the signs of the Christian is loving your brother, loving the, the, other, one, the, the other people. So we had love God, love your neighbor, and now he's going to give you the contrast. And here's what it is. Do not love the world or the things of the world. Now you may be asking, okay, well, 
well, I'm sure the, the word love doesn't really mean love. You know, I've heard in church there's seven words for love or there's five words for love. And let me just tell you, first of all, John loves using synonyms through all of his work. He constantly changes out words for love in the Greek. And I'll tell you right now, this word here, the word that he uses is the word agape. It's, it's, it's the word that, that we all know, like, oh, that's God's love. That's a better love. Well, no, he's saying don't love the world. Don't, don't, don't desire the world be, or the things of the world. Now, you, you, you may all of a sudden have a, an issue with that because you're like, wait a minute. What about John 3, 16? For God so loved the world, right? He gave his only begotten son. What's the difference here? Well, John's not talking about the people. John 3, 16 is talking about the people he, of the world. He's talking about those who inhabit the world, that God so loved the people of the world. Remember earlier on 1 John, it says he's the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, right? He died for everyone. And so that's talking about the people. Here, when John says, do not love the world, he's talking about the system, the philosophies, those ideas and thoughts that set themselves up against the truth of God in our lives. That's what we want to be aware of. He said, hey, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be in Christ, if you're going to abide in Christ, you need to put away your love for the world. Remember last week we talked about put-offs and put-ons? That God never just says stop it, and leaves it alone, but he tells you what to do. Well, do not love the world, we're supposed to love God. Our desires for the world when we come to Christ should shift towards God. When we come into this new life in Jesus Christ, we realize, wait a minute, it's no longer about me, it's no longer about me being God, it's no longer about me being getting what I want, it's no longer about my desires, but it's about you. God, because you purchased me on that cross. You ransomed me from death. You died for me on that cross, and now I serve you. You are my God. That's the exchange we make. Death for life. We're king, now he's king in our life. But it's a total commitment it's not a partial commitment. It's not, okay, I'll say a prayer and we're good. And that's what John's talking about in this letter as we've been going through it. We can contrast it. Don't love the world or the things of the world. Love the Father. Walk in the light. Love your brother. That's, I mean, we see this contrast happening. Well, what about the things of the world? Well, the things of the world are the things that we strive after. It's, as Julio mentioned, the American dream. Or it's what everybody in this world wants, their piece of the pie. We see a pie and we want our piece. Well, it, and it, it can actually be more than that. It, it, the things of the world can be the philosophies of how we live our lives. Oh, don't, I don't, don't push me into your thing. Oh, you, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. It, it can be the, the parting spirit, the Bible says. It can be the, the, the desire for wealth. It can be the desire for women or men. 
It can be the, just whatever those things are in this world that set themselves up against the truth of God. Now let me just say for a minute, God has created us very special beings. He's created us to have very special relationships. Obviously, marriage relationships. He's created us to, to have intimacy with each other. Uh, not only on a friendship level, but also a marriage level. He's created us, and he created it good in the context of, of how he created it. The problem is we twist it. So we'll take something like sex, and we start abusing it and chasing after it out of the context that God created it. And then it's the things of this world because we've taken something that was created God for good by God and we, we break it, we twist it, we use it for our own purposes. And that is, that is the world view. Uh, the, the world system is to, to do what you want to do to please yourself. So John says don't love the world. Don't desire these things because the fact is the one who desires these things, the things of the world, you don't love God. The love of the Father is not in you. That's, that's tricky, right? We all want to be loved by God. We all want to be say we're Christians. We all want that salvation. But we've got to reconcile what we desire with what with what the world says. I don't know, have you ever looked in the mirror at your soul? You're like, what? No? I can't see my soul. Well, what I mean by that is uh, I had to brush my hair today again after I did an ice challenge. Dumb challenges. By the way, I'm going to show you my challenge next week because I actually challenge all of you. So, <laughs> yes. But I changed it up. So, um, but anyway, I, I, I did an ice challenge, so I had to go brush my hair. And uh, as I was brushing my hair to perfection, <laughs> I have the worst hair. I have all these calyx that go everywhere. And uh, so I was brushing my hair, putting gel in it, and, you know. And I don't know about you, but you, you probably, be, when you wake up in the morning, you probably look in the mirror a few times, right? You're, you're probably getting ready, doing this. I, I, I know probably for the women, you look in the mirror a little bit longer than men do. Um, it's a good thing when I look in the mirror when I shave, because uh, when I don't, I'm like, oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, you probably look in the mirror. And, and we put a lot of time into our physical self. We, we put a lot of effort into how we look, making sure our hair is right, making sure the face looks good when I put on my makeup. I mean, um, no, never mind. No, no but we, we put a lot of effort into it. I want to ask you, do you put the same effort into your soul? Because you should ask yourself that. Actually, we should put more effort into our soul. So many say they follow Christ, but they chase after things of the world. They don't feed on the Word of God, so they can't even discern things of the world versus things of God. They don't feed on the Word of God. They don't spend time in prayer with God. They don't commune with God the way they can. Meanwhile, they take care of their physical body great. They're always at the gym. They're eating right. They're doing all these things. But inwardly, although on the outside, Hey, you probably look great. But inwardly, 
Your soul is wasting away. It's starved. It's dying. It's yearning for a relationship with God. And then you wonder, why do I feel lonely? Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel distant from God? Why, why am I not happy? Because well, you've, you've completely deprived your soul of what it was created to do. It was created to be in communion with Christ, with God. So we're to love God. We're to desire God more than we desire the things of the world. If you want to know about desires, I'll tell you, kids are the best illustration for desires. Man, when kids get something in their mind that they need, they cannot forget about it. I was talking to Claire, my seven-year-old, the other day. (laughs) She's telling me she wants an iPhone. I'm like, what? You don't need an iPhone. You're seven. And Elise is uh, my... 11-year-old, she says, Claire, you're not getting an iPhone before I get one. <laughs> I'm like, and you're not getting one either. She's been telling me now for a while that her friends all have phones. She should have a phone too. I'm like, well, cool, you're different. How, isn't that awesome? It's like no one wants to hear that from their dad. Uh, so I was like, you're not getting an iPhone. So Claire says to me, I want an iPhone. So she's been bringing this up constantly. I want an iPhone. I want an iPhone. And so finally the other day I said, Claire, listen, you're not getting an iPhone. We're not going to buy you an iPhone. Not even for Christmas? No, we're not going to buy you one for Christmas. Fine, I'm going to ask Santa. What? First of all, you can't go around me to Santa Claus? (laughs) You can't do that? And if you only knew, (laughs) I'm going to have Santa write a letter this year. (laughs) Listen to your dad. (laughs) But man, I'll tell you, when kids get into something and they desire something, they, they're like a magnet. They just know. They really want that. And we understand that too. When we desire something, we really want it. In fact, Eve saw it. Look, look at this verse here, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the, world, from the Father, but it's from the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Just for a minute, flip back with me over to Genesis 3. I didn't tell them about this scripture text, so it won't be up there. So you might have to go old school and actually open a Bible. (laughs) It's, whoa, it's getting crazy. Or open up your phones. Remember, God told Eve and Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Satan challenges Eve on it. He said to the woman in verse 1, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Well, first thing, Eve is actually starting out pretty well. She remembers God's word. God said, don't do this, don't eat from that tree. She's doing pretty well at this point. She said, God said, we could eat of any tree except for that tree. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to, to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Interesting that John uses this terminology in 1 John, because here we see it. She took of its fruit, when she saw it was good for food, it was a delight to the eye, and she, it, it was desired to make one wise. She took and ate it. That's where she went wrong. She started lusting after it, desiring it more than she desired God. And the problem is we all got affected by it. But I don't think we would do much better, tell you the truth, if we were there. So John says, those things of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. When we start seeing things that we know God said, don't do this, we start desiring it. We start convincing ourselves that this is okay. It's okay, well, you know, we're really in love and we're probably going to get married soon, so it's probably okay if we just, just get with it and enjoy each other. You know, we can, do the, we can convince ourselves really well that certain things are okay. Well, you know, did God really say that? I don't know. You know, he probably meant it more like this. And, you know, a really popular thing to do nowadays is say, oh, you know, that's so old-fashioned. You know, the, the, I, the Bible's good for, for, like, traditional things. It's good for kids, but it's so old-fashioned. Remember John last week said, an old command I give to you, but also a new command. It was about loving your brother. So this old school command of loving each other is still relevant with Christ. And it's still relevant with John, and it's still relevant with you. You know why it's still relevant, these commands that God gives? I'll tell you why it's still relevant. Because God is an infinite, eternal, everlasting God. So God doesn't ever get outdated. He doesn't ever get old. God is an unchanging God. And we should be thankful that he's unchanging because that's part of what makes him God is that he doesn't change. He's not going to one day all of a sudden decide, hey, you know what, it's probably good to start eating babies. I'm serious. Because he's a good God. And all goodness comes from him. So he's not going to change. He's not going to stop being old-fashioned. He's always going to be relevant, and his word is always going to be relevant. And we need to recognize that we need to be obedient to it and love and desire his word. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life. Do we see this today? All the time. We see pastors today going, well, you know, we no longer hold the, to biblical inerrancy. That means that the, the Bible is the inerrant word of God. We no longer uh, believe that the Bible actually means this. That was more of a cultural thing. They start twisting things. Titus tells us, Paul tells us in Titus, that in the last days, people will surround themselves with teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. That's what the last, a sign of the last days are going to be. That they'll surround themselves with people, teachers, pastors who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. That's, it's a popular move in the church. 
oh, I don't like what you said. Let me go find a pastor who will say what I like. That's what's happening in Ephesus. And John writes this letter to tell them, hey, whoa, put the brakes on. Here's how you know if you're really in Christ that you're abiding in him. You're walking in the light as he is in the light. You're holding to his word, not doing your own thing. He wants to make sure that these children, these followers of God, are not desiring the world. They're not going, turning into to heresy, but they're staying in Christ. The desires of the flesh, desires of the eye, the pride of life. We can see, think, think of all situations. Let me challenge you, dear Christians, to know God's word. When you're faced with cultural things, cultural and even things that are becoming cultural norms nowadays, don't just adopt them because the whole culture is adopting them. Look at God's word and see what does God's word say about this. Don't look for a way around God's word. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Know that God is truth. He is light and he is goodness. And, and if we want to be, understand love, goodness, light, and life, we've got to look to him. Don't be deceived into buying into the culture because it sounds easier. You know, there's a popular thing nowadays in the, uh, uh, the hot word about homosexuality and how to do, do does gay marriage belong in church and, and whatnot. And I'm, I'm kind of actually a little bit tired of it, to tell you the truth. I don't want church to be about homosexual or not homosexual. I want church to be about Jesus Christ and him crucified. But at the same time, that we do need to give answers about these things. And I'll tell you right now, when my daughters are about to do something that is harmful to them, I will stop them. I will tell them, no, it's wrong. Don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. When, when Lucy, my three-year-old, is about to run into the street, I'm not just going to be like, well, she should do what she wants to do. You know, what kind of a dad would I be? Certainly not a loving one. But when Lucy's about to run in the street and I run up and say, no, Lucy, and I bring her back, and then I turn her away and she starts to do it again, I go, Lucy, no. She's hard to say no to, Lucy. She's, if you know Lucy, she's really cute. <laughs> it's like, uh-huh. And then she goes to do it again. All right, Lucy, you're getting a spanking. I told you, no. Now, I'm not going to give her a spanking because I don't love her. Quite the contrary. I'm going to correct her because I do love her. And I don't want to see her smashed across the pavement. I want to see her enjoy a long life. Well, God says the same thing with us. And you know what? We don't have to agree with everybody. If you, if you disagree with somebody about a lifestyle, about how God says you should live your life, that doesn't mean you hate them. It means that you disagree with them. But you can still love them. They may not understand that idea because our culture is surrounded with people that say, just, you know, you do what you do, I'll do what I want to do. And, and then, and then by, by, your, by you saying, yes, this is good, then we're all good. Well, we don't have to. And you know what? I will never say to an adulterer that it's good what they're doing. I'll never say to a liar, you should keep on lying. I'll never say to a murderer, you should keep murdering. 
And I'll never say to someone who's living a homosexual lifestyle that God approves. Okay? I know that's it's a touchy subject with us. And we say, but, but I love my friend. Well, good. Keep loving your friend. But let me challenge you to love them into the kingdom versus love them into hell. That's what you want to do. You want to love your friend. You want to love your adulterous friend. You want to love your liar friend. You want to love all of those friends into the kingdom. The same way you want to love your homosexual friend. The same way you want to love your good friend, the person who's doing good. You want to love them into the kingdom, but don't be deceived by the desires of the world. Listen to verse 17. Oh, I'm sorry. Finishing verse 16. These things are not from the Father, but, from the, but it's from the world. Verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I want to challenge you on this. It's tempting to, to adopt the idea of our world, YOLO, you know, which used to be carpe diem, but now it's like rewrapped in, in text-worthy terms, right? <laughs> YOLO, <laughs> you only live once. Carpe diem, seize the day. You know, and these are really just existential ideas that are stolen from the Christian worldview because Christians truly should live as such that, hey, Christ, you may be coming, so I want to live a worthy life today. But it's, it's really tempting. In, in John's day and in Paul's day, the term instead for YOLO and carpe diem was eat, drink, and be merry. That was the, that was the term that their culture said. Well, tomorrow you're going to die, so eat, drink, and be merry. It's the same thing today that they say for YOLO. Hey, you only live once. You may die tomorrow, so you might as well enjoy it now. It's the same terminology. And so as we, if we adopt that terminology, we kind of start to think that the world just goes on forever and it will continue going on. Well, the Bible says something very different here. It says, the world and it is passing away along with its desires. John is reminding his readers that there is an end in sight, that God will not let, allow these things to continue on forever, but he will judge them. He will establish his kingdom. So the question is, do you want to pass away with it? Or do you want to desire the will of God? Do you want to desire what God desires? Because the one who desires what God desires is the one who will live forever, the Bible tells us. He'll abide, he'll remain forever. And I'll tell you right now, I want to encourage you as a Christian, start learning to desire God because you know what? In eternity, we're going to continue to desire God. You might as well practice now being ready for when eternity comes because you're like, this is sweet. I'm even better at it now than I was when I started. I'm excited for this. But some choose the other path. They choose to love the world. Jesus, in one of his first messages in the Gospel of Mark, as he's teaching on the parables of the soil. I, I don't know if you remember these parables. But he teaches about four kinds of soil. And, and it, Jesus is not a farmer. So if, if, if you haven't read this, he's not a farmer. But he's using illustrations so that people get the idea. But the soils represent hearts. And they re represent how receptive your heart is to the word of God. And in these, in these soils, he talks about one of the soils that the seed was planted on. It, it sprung up, but it was planted among thorns or weeds. 
And the weeds sprung up with them, and eventually the weeds, the thorns, choke out this, this plant that was planted, the word that was sown. It chokes it out. And his disciples came up to him and said, Jesus, this, we, love your, we love the teaching. You're a great teacher. But we don't understand it. I bet sometimes you read your Bible and go, I love it, but I don't understand it. <laughs> what did I just read? Keep calm, read on. <laughs> right? So, uh, wow, I just came up with a keep calm. I'm so excited. <laughs> Finally. So, but, but he said about the, he said, okay, well, let me explain it to you. That seed, the word of God that fell on that soil that had the weeds mixed in with it, it was choked out by the, the desires of life, the desires for the world. One foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. They were toying around with the word of God. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go to church. Yeah, I'm going to act holy. I'm going to feel religious. But they still desired the things of this world. And it choked them out. It, it ended up killing the word that was planted in them. Let me warn you not to be like that soil. Don't throw off the desires of this world. James tells his readers when he wrote to him in James 4, he says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You can't be in both worlds. You're going to have to choose whether to follow God and his word, desire after him, or desire after the world. You'll have to make a choice. I'll tell you right now, God will fulfill you more than anything of this world. And what do I mean by that? <laughs> Things of this world, the more we chase after, the more we desire, the more empty we fill. The more we get, the more we want. It's a weird thing. It's a never satisfying desire when we chase after things of this world. Things of God, however, we not only find satisfying to the soul, but we almost feel like we're overflowing. Like I can't take anymore. This is awesome. And it starts overflowing out to others. We actually feel satisfied within our souls. Not desiring, not longing, not hoping for something more, but understanding what I was created for and living as such to please my creator and living in communion with my creator. So James warns his readers, don't think that you can live in the world and live with God. In, in the Old Testament, every time Israel did, did that, they were called adulterous because they were cheating on God. Is that where you've been at? Have you been adulterous with God? Have you, have you had one foot in the world, desiring after the things of the world, and then sprinkling in a little bit of Christianity over here? Well, i got to tell you, that can't last forever. You'll get choked out. You'll wither away. You'll pass away if you continue on that way. But there's hope. That's the whole reason why John writes this to his readers so that they would be aware, that they would understand the warning and understand that, wait a minute, remember earlier when John told us in chapter 2 that we can confess our sins, well, this is chapter 1, and that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for me? 
I can right the ship. I can turn and do what God desires. So I want to encourage you tonight, if, you, if you've been living one foot in the world and one foot in, in, in the church or toying around with the Word of God, it's time to change the desires of your heart. And I want to challenge you to pray. Well, when we get ready to do worship and we do communion, I want to challenge you, Lord, help me to desire you. Help me to love you and not the things of this world. Turn my eyes from the things of this world and turn them towards you. Help me to understand your word. I really want to challenge you with that. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never had a relationship with him, I want to, I want to invite you to have fellowship with your creator, to be forgiven of your sins. I'll tell you, there's nothing like having a clean conscience before God. I remember the day I gave my life to Christ, and I finally realized, wow, you did it all. You paid the price for me. I, I was down on my floor weeping, not because I was sad, I was overjoyed, but I was so amazed by his love that he took it for me. It wasn't about Dave Johnson being good enough or right enough. It was about Jesus Christ doing it for me. So I want to challenge you tonight, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, give your life to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, how it guards us. Your word says we take captive every thought and philosophy that sets itself up against the truths of God. So Lord, we just pray that you would help us to discern the things of the world versus what you want us to do. If you're here in this room tonight and you don't know Lord, the Lord, it's really easy to start a relationship with him. Just pray this. Lord Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Please come into my life. I accept what you did on the cross for me. I, I turn from my sin and I'm ready to follow you. Be the Lord of my life. And maybe some of you tonight need to repent, turn from the sin that you've been in, the things you've been toying with, and turn towards God. I want to encourage you just to confess that to the Lord. God, we thank you. We love you. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your relationship. We just pray you satisfy our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.